0: Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Huysh.
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh You are to 91.3 FM This is your program, Questions and Answers I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson And I am of course going to be Looking at those questions that you have sent through And of course in studio I do have with me None other than Sheikh Ibrahim Was the resident Imam at the Yusufia Masjid out in Weinberg Now remember that you can send through your question Through to 47913 Alternatively you can also send it through to the fax Or you can give us a call in studio On 21 442 that is for the reception, Najma and Zairunisa and they would be able to give you the questions and pass it on to me, inshallah. But let me first greet my guests in studio, Sheikh Alaikum to you.
0: Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, uh, Sister as and to our honourable listeners. How she- are you doing today?
1: Alhamdulillah, Sheikh, how are you doing?
0: Alhamdulillah, can not complain. Alhamdulillah.
1: Alhamdulillah, Sheikh Shukran so much for taking time out to do this with us, always a pleasure to have you in studio. So we are going to be looking at those questions in which we did not have time to to look at last time, which was last week and Saturday. So Sheikh Assisi, As-salamu alaikum Sheikh, a family member wants to marry a girl of Hindu faith. The girl is not willing to change religions for him, but she claims she loves him. She's willing to accept as is, whereas his parents spoke to him about this, but he does not want to listen. What should be done in a situation like this?
0: Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Uh, firstly, obviously, a marriage between a Muslim and a Hindu uh, a girl of a Hindu faith will obviously be a, a marriage that is null and void. A marriage uh, such as that is not uh, permissible and is not, uh, it's not a contract that is acceptable in the Sharia so uh, obviously, this should be told uh, to this person who is willing to go through with this kind of marriage as a Muslim. Um, he should obviously try to convince this woman of of his that uh, this fiance or rather this uh, girlfriend. Of of his that if she really wanted to marry him then she, she need to change to Islam uh, and this, those are the rules of Islam as far as marriage is concerned um, and as far as the parents are concerned obviously they need to also encourage him to take that particular route uh, you know there are certain rules in Islam that we have to that we have to abide by and it is quite clear that uh, the only people that uh, we are allowed to marry are either Muslims themselves or people of a Christian or Jewish background and that is also only under certain circumstances circumstances very specific circumstances and in this case that uh, does not fit the description so uh, the marriage would not be uh, admissible and would not be um, uh, would not be allowed in the sharia as i mentioned uh, and so the, the parents should be quite firm in in bringing this across to the son uh, and that is all that one can do in this particular Circumstance insha'Allah.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The next question reads, "Assalamu uh, salamu hope all is well in studio. My daughter fell pregnant from a guy she was engaged to. We broke off the wedding due to the fact that he was not faithful throughout the time of the engagement. What should we have as parents do now in this case, Sheikh?
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure uh, if I understand the question correctly because uh, your daughter became pregnant and she was engaged. Now, the question is, did they actually get married? Yes or no, that that we want to know. Did you break off the engagement or did you break off the marriage? So, obviously, if they were only engaged and uh, she's now pregnant, but you didn't want her to get married to this person any longer, then this is obviously something that you need to uh, discuss with her, with the boy, with whoever is involved and see, you know, whether you are going to go through with this marriage or not. Uh, And if the person had proven to be unfaithful, as you are saying, then obviously it would be best to advise your daughter, you know, That it's not a good choice to get married to someone who is going to be fooling around like this, etc. Because if you are not able to trust him now, how are you able to trust him when you get married? So that is if you did not get married, if the engagement was broken off. But if it is that the, the, the marriage actually went through already... So um, if this happened, and now you found out that he was unfaithful during the time of the engagement, so obviously if they are married, uh, you can't just uh, take your daughter away uh, and and dissolve the marriage like that. The marriage needs to be dissolved in one of two ways. Either the uh, husband uh, would now have to divorce his wife, so you have to uh, convince him to do that, If not, then of course she will have to apply for a fasakh or an annulment of the marriage. Uh, And this will, will, will have to be done through a judiciary. So she will have to go there, they will investigate, they will see whether there is grounds. Uh, So obviously they will take into consideration uh, if there was uh, cheating going on and, and things like that, that can be taken into consideration. So that is what needs to be done if you wanted your daughter to get out of the marriage. And that is, as I said, if the scenario is that they actually got married. But if they did not get married, then it's best for you to convince her not to get married. And yes, it is going to be quite difficult for her now to be a single parent because she is pregnant, so her baby is on the way, but... Uh, it's rather you know better to struggle in a particular way that you are certain you are able to have control over what is happening than to go into a relationship where you are not going to have any control or you can't any you know you can't uh, you don't know what is going to happen next especially if the person is uh, proven to be unfaithful more than once or continuously then that is some kind of a difficulty for you, so you have to be careful
1: before going into marriage like that. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. You are listening to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers. To note that the program is pre-recorded. And if you have a question for us, you most welcome to fax it through or you can send it through via SMS. We will, of course, generate those SMSs and we will be looking at those questions for next week, inshallah. Sheikh, the following question reads, Assalamu Assalamualaikum Imam, My mother and siblings are constantly bad-mouthing me. They treat me like I am an outcast. My Mother openly favors them and their children over me, yet when I keep my distance, they make it seem as if I'm a bad daughter. Am I wrong for staying away, as this is affecting me in many negative ways? But I certainly wouldn't want the displeasure of the Almighty.
0: I think this is something that happens in many families. Uh, I don't think uh, your family is unique in this. Um, And there are disputes. There are always going to be misunderstandings. There are always going to be pickering. There are always going to be some kind of arguments that erupt and so on. Um, So we are tested. This is actually a test from Allah Ta'ala. We are tested with those that are very close to us sometimes, our very own family. And uh, there's a verse in the Quran that I always bring up in this particular situation. It's a verse in Surah Al-Furqan, chapter 25, verse number 20, where Allah Ta'ala says, Wa we made some of you to be a test for others. So we will be tests for one another, and uh, we will be tested through our relationships with one another. And Allah Ta'ala gives us the uh, directive of what should be done when we are tested in this way. Allah says, wa kana Rabbuka basira." Allah says, would you have patience in this situation? Are you going to have patience? And Allah Ta'ala certainly sees and knows what is going on. So uh, what Allah is telling us here is that uh, if we have these kinds of situations, we should put our trust in Allah, We should always display good character Regardless what the other people are doing Regardless if they are bad-mouthing you And and if they are favoring some others over you So this is wrong obviously But from your side this is your parents this is your brothers and sisters you should try always to show the better side show show good character and think of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa that's always an encouragement look at how much he was hurt and how much he was harmed and how much he was insulted much more than what we could ever imagine but yet the Prophet remained very very calm he remained very patient you made dua to Allah of course and that is what you should do as well make dua that Allah Ta'ala changes their hearts that uh, they don't do this any longer and that the relationships become better etc and you can never lose as long as you show good character towards them, Allah Ta'ala will give some kind of a way out for your problem, inshallah.
1: Inshallah, shukran so much. And on that note, we break for ads, and when we come back, we'll answer more of your questions right here on Q&A. And also do note that you can also send through those SMS to 47913. Alternatively, give us a call on 021-442-3500 during office hours, Monday to Friday from 7 up until 4 for your questions, inshallah. But we'll be back right after this.
0: Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Huys.
1: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakadu. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and I'm going to be in your company up until 7 o'clock, inshallah. We are in studio with none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Mus, and he is answering all your questions for you this evening, inshallah. We are going to be jumping through to some of the other questions that has come through via our SMS as well as our, as our faxes that came through. And it says here, as Alaikum, hope all is well. Sheikh, what is meant by the term spiritual travelling?
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure uh, what is meant by it. whoever is using the term, uh, but I I suspect that it's got to do with uh, putting yourself uh, in a particular direction where you want to better your life and you want to spiritually uplift yourself and uh, really journey towards Allah. I think that is what a lot of people mean when they speak about spiritual traveling or journeying. And uh, it basically means to set yourself on a path where you would be doing things that is going to improve your internal condition, improve your heart, improve your spirituality, and this is what the uh, ulama of tasawwuf or the ulama uh, that are of the Sufi background uh, always speak about. Uh, they speak about uh, you know following a particular path and traveling on that path. And it actually just boils down to the fact that you need to do constantly uh, acts of devotion, acts of ribada, acts of uh, what we call mujahada. Mujahada means like to really uh, strive and to struggle very hard against your own ego, against your own lower self and make sure that you get rid of all illnesses from your heart and so on. And this often happens through the process of Dhikrullah, uh, through the process of reciting Qur'an abundantly, making sunnah salahs abundantly, doing your five salahs on its time, uh, fasting, sunnah fast, so doing everything that you can in order to uplift yourself. And this is obviously uh, a very good thing because all of us, we need, to, uh, we need to obviously improve our hearts so that when we meet Allah on the Day of Judgment, uh, our hearts are going to be hearts that will be accepted and that will be uh, contented uh, because Allah says in the Quran that the only heart that will be benefiting itself on the day of judgment is the heart that is sound on that day your wealth won't come to your avail your children won't help you no one can assist you and the only one that will be in a positive space is the one that approaches Allah with a heart that is sound And that heart can only be sound if it was a heart that was trained and that went through a process of rigorous training on this dunya, getting rid of all the bad qualities, getting rid of envy, getting rid of... um, looking down on others, getting rid of kiber and arrogance, getting rid of self uh, pra- praising and so on. And these are all things that uh, we need to all strive towards. Uh, we must all work on our internal conditions as much as we can. And this was in fact one of the missions of Rasulullah, of, of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah says in the Quran, one of the missions that he came to fulfill as far as uh, we are concerned is, Allah says, The Prophet came to purify them, came to purify their hearts. Uh, so as I said, the, the easiest path, way to do this is to do all those things which Allah expects us to do, uh, to to go out of our way, to, to do extra acts of devotion and to follow that particular path and hopefully meet Allah Ta'ala in a state where we are satisfied with Allah and Allah is satisfied with us. And this is the famous verse that we often recite. إِرْجِعِي إِلَىٰ رَبِّكِ رَاضِيَةً مَرْضِيَةً Allah Ta'ala will call out that soul on the Day of Judgment and Allah Ta'ala will say to the soul, return now to your Lord in a state where you are satisfied and I am also satisfied. And this is really the spiritual state that we all need to strive for. And I think this is what is referred to when people speak about spiritual traveling or, or journeying.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. It takes us to our next question, as is, As-salamu Alaikum, Sheikh. What happens when one recites Surah Yasin at the janazah on the body?
0: There is uh, nothing specific narrated as to what happens to the body or to the person when Surah Yasin is recited at the janazah. There is no specific hadith or ayat that speaks about this. But generally, uh, we know that when the Qur'an is recited in general, Allah Ta'ala's mercy descends. So we recite the Qur'an at the Mayyid or at a person who's ill uh, for that purpose, so that Allah Ta'ala can send down his mercy, and we invoke the blessings of Allah when we are reciting Quran. And of course, Surah Yasin in particular has been mentioned in a hadith uh, to be recited over a person who has passed on. As the Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith, Iqra'u ala yasin. Read over your deceased Surah Yasin. And the hadith is narrated by Abu Dawood and others. Uh, so obviously it is then uh, sunnah to recite it. Uh, But as to what happens to the body at that time when Surah Yasin is being recited, this is of uh, the unseen. This is not something we can figure out or that we can come to a conclusion of unless we have evidence for it or hadith for it or some kind of narration in it. Um, Perhaps one of the other uh, hikmas of reciting Surah Yasin would be that the content of the Surah itself, it speaks about the year after and resurrection and what will happen afterwards and so on. So I think it's not only a uh, reminder, it's, oh, it's not only beneficial to the deceased uh, for the rahmah of Allah to come down, but it is also a reminder for the person reciting the surah, that he will also go through that path. He will also die, he will also, uh, Qiyamah is coming and one need to prepare for that, etc. And that is as far as we can speak, uh, as, as far as Surah Yasin is concerned. As I mentioned, there's nothing specific as to what happens to the actual deceased at that moment.
1: Shikran, so much just a reminder that you can still send through those questions through to our SMS line four seven nine one three. Alternatively you can also send it through via fax or you can give our officers a call during office hours Monday to Friday from seven up until four thirty. Sheikh wa. hope all is well. What are the rules for a woman who attends a janazah of a family member if she has her head? Is she allowed to touch the maid and kiss the forehead of it? kindly explained.
0: Yeah, this is uh, something that uh, I think a lot of people um, are perhaps unaware of or they don't have clarity on it because there are a lot of things going around that you can't or you cannot enter the room you cannot uh, be very close to the maid etc. Um, we find that in a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ spoke to Sayyida Aisha the Prophet ﷺ asked her to give something and she said she had a haid and she was told by the Prophet ﷺ لَيْسَتْ The Hayd is not in your hand, meaning uh, you may be in a state of menstruation, but your hand is still clean and pure, you can still give me whatever I'm asking There is no issue like that So uh, from that we can obviously then uh, conclude that um, physically a, a woman who is in haid, She is just as ordinary as any other person There are certain things that is off limits for her, yes She cannot make salah, she cannot touch the Quran, she cannot enter Masjid, she cannot make tawaf There are certain things uh, from, a, from a ibadah point of view that she is not able to perform while she is in that state but the whole notion of her not coming close to you, she shouldn't sleep next to you, she shouldn't eat next to you, she should, should sit far away from you, this is not something really that uh, we know of in terms of our own sharia. Uh, this is not of our customs. Um, with regards to a person who, who dies and the family members come and visit, and some of them may be in a state of menstruation, um, I can draw a, a perhaps a, a conclusion from a quotation that is given by Imam al-Nawawi, uh, in his book, Minhaj al Talibin, he mentions when he speaks about the washing of the Mayit. And this is an interesting conclusion that we can come to here. He says, He says that a person who's in a state of Haid or in a state of Janaba, meaning impurity, uh, that they need a ghusl, they are still able to wash the Mayit without it being even makruh. So, a woman who's in Haid if there's no one else to wash the deceased and she's the only one around. It's no problem for her to wash the deceased, even if she is in a state of hayd. Because her being in a state of hayd is not really something that's going to nullify the ghusl or cause any problems for her to be close to the mayyit, like that. And then we find a a comment of this uh, particular quotation by a scholar uh, whose name is Ibn Hajar, Al-Haytami. He gives a comment on this quote of Imam Nawawi. And he says, He says, and this shows the weak viewpoint that is attributed to another scholar by the name of Muhamili who said that they are not allowed, a woman in Haydn is not allowed to come close to the maid. He says, This quote of Imam Nawawi shows that that is a weak point. Mm-hmm. Because Imam Nawawi even allows a woman who's in Haydn to wash the deceased. So washing the deceased is obviously closer than just being in the room. Or, or just kissing the forehead. Mm. So obviously we can conclude from that, that it is allowed for a human to do that. Now there are some scholars, although they are uh, not the majority, it's certainly not in the Shafi'i Madhab. Uh, there are some scholars that say that a woman who is in hid should not come close to the Mayyit, etc But this is not the viewpoint of the Shafi'iyah. The Shafi'is allow it, and the evidence we, we cited now, as far as the quotation of Imam Al Nawabi is concerned, says that they are allowed to wash the deceased. So, if they are allowed to wash the deceased, they are obviously also allowed to come close or to kiss, especially what's close family members. Yeah, imagine it's a daughter, for example, and you say to the daughter, You're not allowed to come close to your mommy because you have had, mm. and you have to stand outside. Imagine how she must feel. Mm. And this is going to be the last few moments that she can bid farewell to her mother that had passed away. So, obviously. Uh, Taking that into consideration and uh, being in a very highly emotional state, etc., it would be better, obviously, uh, to allow her to come and to bid farewell. And this is permissible according to Imam, nawawi and others.
1: Shukran so much for that. On that note, we break for ads. And when we come back, we'll continue with the program, Questions and Answers, right here on 91.3 FM. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with
0: Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss.
1: as alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh This is your program, Questions and Answers I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson And answering your questions in studio, we have Sheikh Ibrahim Imam is uh, Sheikh is the Imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid Out in Weinberg However, if you are close to a masjid, also do seek uh, Information or help If you have any questions, we always do Also encourage you to go to your local Imams if you need any advice With regards to any situation that you Have currently at the moment We are also taking your questions on seven. 47- 913. Alternatively, you can also send through a fax as well as you can give the station a call on our telephone number, inshallah. But for now, we head on to some of the questions that we still have. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can I perform Baad al-Hajj on my mother of 83 years old as she is not able to go herself due to old age?
0: Yes, certainly uh, a hajj can be performed on behalf of someone else. If that person is alive and they give permission for you to do so, then yes, you can obviously do that hajj on their behalf. Uh, Of course, they themselves must be in a state where they really can't go, where they are critically ill, terminally ill, or they are too weak to travel then yes, they can then um, authorize someone else to do it on their behalf. Uh, the only condition that would apply here uh, is that uh, okay. obviously the, the person who is going to do the Badal Hajj must have performed his or her own Hajj already before that. So you cannot do Hajj on somebody else's behalf if you didn't do your own Hajj yet. Okay, that is the rule that applies as far as the, that Hajj is concerned and it doesn't matter if it's a woman authorizing a male or a male authorizing a female, it doesn't matter really anyone can perform Hajj on behalf of anyone else uh, as I said the only one or condition that should be taken into consideration is the fact that if you are going to do Hajj on somebody else's behalf you must have done your own Fard Hajj already and this is actually uh, in indi- the indication uh, that was taken from an incident in the time of the Prophet ﷺ with somebody was making a labbaik on behalf of someone else. And he was saying, labbaik an Shubruma. person's name of Shubruma, And he was saying, I'm making labbaik on behalf of Shubruma." So the Prophet asked him, وسلم, you're doing it on behalf of Shubruma? did you do it for yourself already? Did you do your own hajj? So he said, no. So the Prophet said to him, you must first do your own hajj before you can do it on behalf of someone else. So this is obviously allowed. And uh, just to, as an extension to that question, if a person had died even, and that person did not perform the hajj, and uh, you know that the person was able to, but they did not go, then you are allowed to also do it on that person's behalf. In fact, in the madhab of Imam it is encouraged, in fact, to take even from the wealth of that person before the estate is even distributed. And money should be taken because it is regarded as a debt. It's almost like a debt that is owed to Allah Ta'ala. And it is compulsory, it is one of the arkan of Islam. So uh, the heirs or the family members, close ones, they can actually take some of the money of the estate and put it aside for a hajj to be performed on behalf of that person who did not perform the hajj. Uh, Whether that person actually wrote it in their will or not, that doesn't matter. Because it is a farḍ. it is one of the arkan of Islam, so it can be done on their behalf even if they had passed on. Uh, And if some other family member, let's say they want to do it by themselves without taking money from the estate or anything, they just feel they want to do it on behalf of that person, then that would also be allowed uh, fulfilling that duty which is a farḍ. Uh, that must be done uh, That is also allowed obviously Even after the person had passed on
1: Shukran so much for that Sheikh And the next question reads Assalamualaikum, alaykum Sheikh I am newly married and I normally have a routine To not wear a scarf around the house My in-laws would come visit from time to time And husband's brother And I normally don't cover up with a scarf in the house My mother-in-law says I'm in the house Is this Islamically correct?
0: Of course, if your your mother-in-law or your father-in-law comes and visit, and there's no other people around, um, and there's no other strange people around, then of course you can wear without you can wear whatever you feel is comfortable for you. You don't have to be in full hijab when you are in front of your mother-in-law and father-in-law and so on, because they they are like your own parents. Uh, as far as your brother-in-law is concerned however, he is obviously not a mahram to you, he is in fact marriageable to you uh, in the future for example, you are able to marry him if certain circumstances prevail so because of that uh, he is obviously, uh, you are not allowed to appear in front of him unless you are properly clad and properly dressed because he is, as I said, not a mahram to you and this is actually a question that was uh, posed directly to the Prophet ﷺ, um, a person by the name of Uqbah Ibn Amir He came to the Prophet And the Prophet said Prophet says Beware when you enter upon women Meaning you are not allowed to enter upon strange women And be in their company alone etc. We know there are other ahadith that show That if two people are alone with one another Then the third one will be shaitan So you should never enter upon a woman without There being a mahram with her Or there being uh, some family members With her etc. You are not allowed to do that so a person that was in the gathering amongst the Ansar, he asked the Prophet ﷺ, al الْحَمُ O Prophet of Allah, what about the in-laws? In other words, we, we sometimes take it very lightly, you know, if, it's my, if I'm a woman and it's my brother-in-law, it's like my own brother. Hmm. Uh, so a person asked a question like that, what about my sister-in-law, let's say. Obviously, I mean, she's like family. Isn't it uh, possible for us to interact like that, as if she's family? And the Prophet ﷺ made a very strong statement, which was interpreted in various different ways by our scholars. Hadith is, is authentic, it's in Bukhari. Uh, when the, the person asked about the in laws, like the sister in law, etc., the Prophet ﷺ said, Alhamu al He says that uh, that question, with regards to your sister and like that, it's like death. It's like death itself. So what does it mean it means it's destructive if you are going to take it lightly and you think that she is your sister just like your own biological sister then that will lead to things that is very destructive because she is not your biological sister she is marriageable to you in the future So one should obviously then follow the proper rules as far as that is concerned. So hijab must be worn, uh, you shouldn't be alone with her, there must always be a mahram present, etc. like that. And we we know of uh, countless and numerous um, incidents that had happened like that, where a person's uh, own brother, you know, because he's so close to the family and he comes to the house often, even if he's not around, his brother would come to the house while the wife is there. And very often we heard this, that the brother would have actually an affair with the person's wife. You know, with his own brother's wife this happens so many times because obviously shaitan you know once he, he comes in and he causes uh, temptations and stuff like that uh, it's very difficult obviously for you to uh, to be in control of the situation so the best is to apply the rules that Allah Ta'ala had put down to safeguard yourself Right. So when you are in your house and there's mahrams, your own brothers, your own family, your own... F- now what is a mahram? A person who is not allowed to ever get married to you. Ever. In the future, such a person is a mahram. So if those people are there, you can dress however you feel. But if you are amongst people that are potentially potentially, uh, marriageable to you, then you should dress in a way that is appropriate.
1: Thank you so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, assalamu alaikum what are the rules of idda when a husband dies?
0: Yeah, there's a number of uh, things that must be applied with regards to the Idda. First one is that a woman who is under Idda, she should try to confine herself to her home and not go out of her home except in dire situations if it's really necessary. And this is for her own protection, it's for her own dignity because if her husband had passed on, she is mourning her loss and she doesn't want people obviously out there to frown upon her or to to have suspicion about her. When she just goes about in society and mixes, free mixes with other people and so on. Uh, So it's very important that she tries to confine herself to her house. But she can obviously go out if there is a need for it. So let's say she's uh, in need of working to sustain herself because her husband perhaps did not leave a lot of money. They weren't very uh, wealthy. So she has to go out to earn a living to at least uh, sustain or just for her own survival. In that case, it would be allowed for her to go out. But again, it must be only to the extent necessary. She should only go there and come back. And the night time, obviously, is more difficult than the daytime. She should try to be at night time. Definitely, she should try to be at home and not really to uh, go out of the home. In the daytime, it's slightly less of a problem because there's lots of people around, etc. Less suspicion would uh, be uh, arising if it is during the day, day time. So that is one of the things. The other thing that applies with regards to a woman that is in Iddah for a, a, a husband that had passed on, is what is called Al Hidad. Al Hidad basically means to be in a mourning uh, situation where you are not uh, going to beautify yourself, uh, you're not going to dress up, etc., for that uh, entire Idda period. Because remember, a woman who's under Idda also, she's not allowed to get married, she's not allowed to accept proposals, etc., because she is still under Idda. Right, So of the rules is, no marriage proposals, no marriage, no things that lead to marriage, etc. That should all be avoided. And so part of that is that the woman should not uh, go out of her way to dress up like she normally does. Uh, she should not apply any uh, extra beautifications on her body, etc. Because she is in a state of mourning. And this is something which had been mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ in many ahadiths. This is what she should do. And uh, I think a third point that can be mentioned here is the hikmah. Why it it is like that is because to honor the, the, the relationship that she had with her husband. She had a very sacred relationship with her husband. So she's honoring that contract that was not only between her and her husband, but the contract that was between her and her husband and Allah. So it's like honoring that contract, you know, by not immediately moving on or not forgetting that very sacred contract that was made between her and her husband and of course the fourth thing that can be mentioned why and Idda is also important is she may even be pregnant, who knows uh, she might even be pregnant from her husband so if she got, just move on and get married or just uh, forget about her marriage that she had, there may be confusion even with regards to uh, who the father of the child is and that is also uh, applicable to a woman who is divorced even a woman who is divorced also goes under Idda for the same purpose uh, there may be issues of pregnancy that comes up so those are some of the things uh, that must be done and yes, these are the laws of Allah, and we should uh, try to abide by it. And as I said, it's actually for your own goodwill, you know, as a woman. It's to protect your own dignity and your own honor, uh, having lost a husband or having been divorced even. Uh, it's to prevent society from talking bad about you uh, at, uh, and and to humiliate you or to think bad of you. And it's actually for your own good, and that is why. We try to obviously encourage uh, the best behavior if a person is Thank
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is, as to the panel, respected Sheikh. If my parents and only brother passed away, is it right that my brother's children inherit what would have been his and had he still been alive?
0: Yeah, yeah it depends entirely when your brother actually passed away. Um, if your brother passed away, Uh, Before your parents right? So in other words Your your own sibling passed away Before your mother and your father Then in such a case uh, His children will only inherit from his estate Okay From whatever he left behind If on the other hand Your brother passed away uh, After your parents had passed on So let's say at the time when your father passed away Or your mother Your brother was still alive Okay uh, in that case, he would have gotten obviously a portion from the estate of your father or your mother. So if that portion was not allotted to him at that time, then at a later stage, that portion still belongs to him, and that portion will then go to his children, because it actually belonged to him while he was still alive. Right? So that is the only time that we can say that the grandchildren will actually take the portion of their father. It's when the father was actually alive at the time when the deceased passed on. But if your sibling passed away, as I said, before your parents, then in such a case, th- his children won't inherit anything from from your own parents' estate. They will only inherit from their father, mm. right? But not from the grandfather. And that obviously is very clear the, the distinction between the two cases. And so that is and this is often what happens when people delay the distribution of estate. So let's say the father passed only left behind four sons, but they didn't immediately do the distribution of the estate. Some or the other, they dragged it, they dragged it, they dragged it. Uh, so nothing was done, nothing was, was wound up. So one of the siblings may actu- actually pass on in the meantime. So if one of the siblings, of the f- one of the four brothers actually pass on, then in such a case, his children will then inherit his portion, because that was actually his haqq already that he was supposed to get. And this is what happens, and that is why encouragement should always be given, that the estate must be wound up as soon as possible, so that we don't have this kind of complications at the later stage.
1: Shukran so much to that, Sheikh. And then a message, or a question rather, came through via our fax line, and it says, "Assalamualaikum Sheikh. Sheikh, I'd like to know, when I make salah, especially fajr, in the morning, there is always a shadow of myself next to me, by my side. Can I continue to perform salah, as I'm really distracted by this?
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure what uh, the indication of a shadow would be. Maybe you should just check the light, where the light is shining in your room or wherever you are making salah. Um, If it is on the outside, then maybe the sun had already come up and you're making salah a bit late. I don't know. But uh, inshallah, I I don't think anything to be worried about as long as you're making your salah on time. Make fajr uh, in the allotted time that has been given. And obviously, uh, fajr... Uh, begins at the time of the Adhan And it ends when the sun has risen When the sun actually comes up right? So it's about an hour and ten minutes or so Or just a bit more um, So if you make your fajr within that time Inshallah it is good and it's acceptable And uh, um, maybe you should just Elaborate more on what the shadow is about Is it really on the outside Is it on the inside of the house that you see the shadow Is it anything to do with the light that is above you Or is it just a shadow that appears Which you cannot really explain uh, but be that as it may, whatever it is, uh, if you are making your fajr on time, then insha'Allah there is a hadith that says that a person who had made his fajr uh, the way that he should, he is fi dhimmatillah. Such a person will be under the protection of Allah for that day. So whatever that shadow is, if it appears and it's a bit strange for you, um, it's in a, you will be in a good space. Because the hadith says you will be under the protection of Allah if you had made fajr the way that you are. Uh, supposed to do it. So I don't think there's anything for you to be worried about.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. Of course, the voice there of Sheikh Ibrahim Mousk. answering all of your questions that you have currently on our program Q&A. For now, we break for us, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program. And do note that you can still send through your questions through to our SMS 47913 or give us a call on 21 that is our reception during office hours Monday to Friday from 7 up until 4 o'clock. But we be back right after. To this.
0: Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Was
1: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is your program, questions and answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson, and we are in studio with Sheikh Ibrahim Mwas, Imam at the Yusufia Masjid out in Weinberg, answering all of your questions this evening. Now we are going along to some of the questions that we have still received that we still have left on our SMS line, and the question is: Assalamualaikum, Sheikh. Can I do repairs to a child's house with the interest earned on investment? I usually just give it away.
0: Yeah, if it is interest, like RIBA, uh, which is money. Which is haram for you to use Then in such a case uh, You cannot obviously use it For any benefit for yourself Or your children or anybody else But that money must just be given away It can either be given to institutions And it, it must be used for public usage basically um, uh, Some people give it for the building of roads Some people give it for the building of toilets Toilet facilities Those are all okay It can even be given to the poor And to the needy But it's not a sadaqah It's not a charity It is just money that you need to get rid of That is if it is actually now you say investment, so if it is an investment, possibly is there a possibility that it may be profits on the investment. Because if it is profits on an investment, which is halal, then obviously you can do with it whatever you want. right? So if I invest uh, some money in a business, for example, and I know that this business is doing legitimate work and legitimate uh, trading, and so there will be profits coming onto the money that I invested into the business, then of course that money is profit, it's not the riba. And you can actually use that money for your own benefit, for your children's benefit, whatever you want to use it. But if it is money that is in the bank, for example, in a bank account, and on that bank account it just accumulates interest without it being invested. And this is obviously the conventional way of How interest works, when you place money in an account And you leave it just there, it just pulls interest So that interest is haram, you can't use it For anything, it must be given away So for your own child's house, no, you can't give it For the repair of your own child's house, because that is a benefit To you, it's a benefit to your children But you you should give it away for public usage uh, Or for the poor That is out there, and it should not obviously Be regarded as a sadaqah It is not a sadaqah, there's no rewards attached to it But it's really getting rid of something Which uh, should not be used at all for your own personal gain. (laughs)
1: Sheikh. <laughs> the following question, is read As-salamu alaykum, Sheikh. when I received a provident fund I gave zakah on the full amount now I have to live off that money I gave zakah on the balance every year, is this permissible?
0: Yeah. the basic rules of zakah as we uh, mentioned a couple of times is that there's two things that you must at all times uh, bear in mind as conditions for zakah the one is what is called a nisab nisab is your minimal amount that you own that makes it zakat payable, right, and that minimal amount in the estimation of our current day is round about five thousand rand. so if you have five thousand rand in your possession, then potentially you are a zakat payer, right but there's another condition that must be met: The second condition is that that five thousand rand as a minimal that you own, you must have owned it for one full year, one full lunar year. It must have been in your possession without without it diminishing or decreasing in any way. So if you had that 5,000 or more for an entire lunar year, then after the year has lapsed, you have to then pay 2.5% on that 5,000 rand. And this happens every year. So if you do it this year and next year again, you have that same 5,000, then you will have to do it at the end of next year again. Right? So every year, you will have to pay 2.5% on that particular amount. So in your case, you had a lump sum of money. Right? So what you are saying to us is that on that lump sum, you firstly paid your 2.5% when you received the money. Actually, when you received a lump sum, the zakah was only payable after one year of owning it. Right? And not immediately when you received it. Because obviously, as I said, the two conditions is the amount and the year that must be obviously lapsed before you pay zakah. So after the year it lapsed, you paid your half percent I think your question really is, now what about the rest of the money and mm-hmm. the rest of the years? Mm-hmm. You will have to pay zakah, unfortunately, every year on it. And it's not unfortunate really. I'm saying unfortunately. But it's actually fortunate because when you pay zakah, you must remember you are helping the poor. And when you are helping the poor, you are actually helping yourself. You're not helping them really. Because Allah Ta'ala will, will, will elevate you and you will put barakah in your rizq and will put barakah in your life. You shouldn't look at it as a liability. Okay. So if you at any given time have 5,000 rand or more, which you kept for more than one year, so even if it's a lump sum of money that you now have and you are living off from that money, but it is more than five thousand and it's not uh, it's not decreasing uh, less than five thousand and you have it for more than one year then you will have to pay the two and a half percent at the end of the year and uh, the hadith says ma naqasamalun min sadaqah just remember wealth does not decrease when you give sadaqah it actually increases because the barakah that allah places in there what one can perhaps advise is if you have only a certain amount of money which you know when it is up it will be gone and you won't have any uh, other uh, income Then it's obviously best to take some of that money and to invest it or to make business with it so that at least it can increase in some way and this is the same thing that we normally say with money that belongs to an orphan or to a child very often a child may inherit some money from his parents okay so there is now a debate is there zakah on that money yes or no and the answer is many scholars including the Shafi'iya, they say there is zakah on that money and obviously the guardian must pay the zakah on his behalf so if that child inherited the 20,000 rand for example there will be a a 2.5% payable on that 20,000 Rand every year. So obviously 2.5% will come off from the 20,000 every year, and the amount will decrease and decrease and decrease. So what would be advisable in such a circumstance is the guardian of that orphan or the guardian of that child, it is best to take some of that money and to to invest it into some kind of business or to do some trading with it so that the money can stay afloat and also increase for the benefit of that child. So this is something that you must obviously take into consideration. If you fear that obviously every year giving zakah may just t- decrease your money and you don't, won't have any income after that, then it's best to look at maybe uh, halal investments that you can perhaps embark upon in order to secure for you some kind of income in the future. But the straight answer is zakah is payable on any amount above 5000 uh, every year. A two and a half percent must be paid on behalf of the person who owns it.
1: Thank you so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, assalamu Alaikum all in studio. I've got a question wanting to know, Sheikh, if I farted when washing my feet in hudu, do I have to restart hudu all over again?
0: Yeah, The issue of taking hudu, uh, the condition is that uh, you must obviously be free from all the things that nullifies the hudu for the entire duration of uh, taking the hudu itself. Uh, So in other words, from beginning of hudu till the end of hudu, there must be nothing that nullifies the hudu as well. Uh, And this, I can just give a quick quotation from one of the encyclopedias on fiqh, uh, written by Dr. Wahab Zuhayli, al-fiqh al-Islami. He says, of the conditions of hudu is adamul munafi lil-hudu. There shouldn't be anything that nullifies the hudu. Anything that nullifies the hoodoo must not be present uh, up and must not be present from the beginning of the hoodoo. So when you st- once you start with the hoodoo, then obviously you should not have anything that nullifies the voodoo until the hoodoo is complete okay uh, except the only exception to this will be obviously what we call a person who is uh, who has a other a person who has let's say uh, he's got what we call urinal drip where all the time urine is coming out so they obviously can't help themselves in such a case these will be okay but an ordinary person who doesn't have that kind of problem there must be no nullification of any of the nullifiers of hudu from the beginning of the hudu until the end so yes if you had broken your hudu towards the end of your hudu, then unfortunately we'll have to start over and do the hudu again uh, from uh, from beginning in order to have a valid hudu for salah.
1: you so much. On that note, we break for and When we come back, we'll continue with the program, Questions and Answers, answering more of your questions coming through. We'll be back right after this.
0: Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss.
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is the last few minutes of questions and answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and answering all your questions in studio we do have okay. Sheikh Ibrahim Moss. Now you can send through your questions through to 47913 alternatively you can give us a call during office hours from Monday to Friday from 7 o'clock up until 4 o'clock, inshallah. Some of the questions that has come through via SMS reads, so, Sheikh Assalamu Alaikum. I am a widow and I can hear the adhan from my house. Do I just go on making salah or do I have to recite the du'a myself or the adhan myself?
0: Yeah, the sunnah is, if you can hear the, the adhan, the sunnah is firstly to repeat the words of the adhan. In in, any circumstances, wherever you are, if you can hear the adhan being rendered, then the sunnah is for you to say the same words of the madhin. Whatever he says, you say. So when he says... Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, you say Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar after him. Except when he says hayya ala salaah, you say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. When he says hayya al falah, you say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. But the rest of the adhan, whatever he says, you say exactly the way that he says. There's a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ says If you hear the adhan, then say exactly as the mu'adhan says. Repeat and imitate whatever he is saying And then of course The dua afterwards is sunnah It's not to say it's a compulsory act but it's an act of devotion, it's an act of uh, great virtue if you are able to recite the dua which comes after the adhan. And again, the hadith uh, is well known in the book of Imam al-Tirmidhi and Nasai ibn Majah. The Prophet said on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah, whenever a person hears the adhan and he says the following dua, well-known dua, Allahumma rabba hadi dawati tama wa al qa'imah, we all know the dua. So once a person utters these words after the adhan has been rendered, the hadith says, Lahu لَهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ For such a person, my intercession becomes compulsory for him on the Day of Judgment. So if you recite that du- dua, the Prophet ﷺ will definitely argue on your behalf and defend you on the Day of Judgment. So you, even as a widow, if you are hearing the Adhan, the first sunnah is to say and to repeat the words of the Adhan, whatever he is saying, you say. And once the Adhan is finished, you then make the dua of the Adhan by yourself and you will get this great reward of receiving the intercession of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the day of judgment. Remember it is sunnah, it's not fart so let's say you didn't do it or you maybe forgot about it, you made salah straight away no problem, it will not affect the validity of the salah salah will still be in place but you just missed a sunnah which could have gained you obviously a great reward uh, if you are able to to fulfill that
1: thank so much for that sheikh. sheikh the following question reads assalamu alaykum i would like to know does the quran speak about global warming
0: yeah interesting question uh, which we perhaps uh, you know didn't think about really seriously uh, i've tried to look up a few uh, places that i could maybe think of to uh, discuss this issue And it doesn't seem there's anything in the Quran directly That speaks about uh, the phenomenon of Global warming, which obviously is something Happening, uh, we see the change uh, In pattern, in terms of the uh, Weather patterns, and in terms of the uh, Climate changes all over the world Where very hot countries are becoming much cooler uh, Where uh, there was a lot of rain In certain countries, it's becoming less, even Ourselves here in South Africa, we've received Much less rain than before, so there is Definitely a bit of change in terms of The climate, so there's nothing in the Quran about it. However, there is a, some scholars that have taken a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ as a basis for a discussion of this nature. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, The final hour will not appear until the Arabian Peninsula will change back to fertile land and rivers. Now, this is an interesting hadith because we know currently the Arabian Peninsula, when you think about the Arabian Peninsula, what do you think of? Right? The first thing you think of is, is desert. It's mostly desert. right? Barren lands. There's not much fertile soil or fertile ground. There's not a lot of rivers that flow through. There's maybe a couple of uh, big rivers, but it's, it's not that it's a, a big phenomenon. They don't have a lot of rivers flowing. So the hadith says the final hour will not come until the Arabian Peninsula goes back to being a very fertile ground and being full of rivers so what the scholars say about this is the climate will change and like we find in saudi arabia now uh, people posted some uh, uh, pics and some uh, video clips not too long ago of snow actually coming down in in medina and so on which is unheard of i mean medina and makkah those are very hot areas uh, like very desert dry areas so you wouldn't expect snow to actually fall in that part of the world. But actually it, it had begun now and there's a scholar by the name of Dr. Zahlul Najjar, who's an Egyptian scholar and his main interest and speciality of research is to look at scientific realities in the Quran or in the hadith and to relate it to actual phenomenon in, in, in the universe out there. And he had actually stated that this hadith which I just quoted now is a definite indication that uh, the issue of weather patterns changing and things uh, you know, that, that are starting to happen in the Arabian Peninsula is a definite indication that global warming and all those things are, are realities that needs to be looked at and this hadith speaks about it. So that is the only hadith that I know about that scholars have discussed as far as this is concerned. But there is nothing in the Quran really that is uh, crystal clear as far as this uh, issue is concerned.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads As-salamu alaykum, Sheikh. Can you use zakah to cook food and then distribute?
0: According to the majority of scholars, zakah should be paid as is you're not allowed to take zakah and make food parcels or make it into a pot of food etc because the poor person he will know best what to do with the zakah that is given to him you can't act on his behalf or by proxy right? he, he will know best what he wants to use the money for and this is the majority of scholars that say this there are a small group that say no you can actually uh, if you think it will be in their best interest not to give them the money but rather to make food for them or to give them in the form of groceries there are a very small minority that uh, allows this But the vast majority say no, it must be given as is because this is the nature in fact of of zakah and uh, the nature of it is that uh, we should not decide on behalf of the poor but rather leave them. So if I have my cash money, I should give zakah in cash and not invite them over for a meal and take that as the zakah being paid.
1: Shukran so much And that is where we'll have to leave it For our questions and answers session From myself, Yasmina Shukran so much to everyone That contributed to the program And of course, shukran so much To Sheikh Ibrahim was For coming into the studio And answering all of those questions Sheikh, any last words from your side, inshallah
0: uh, I want to say uh, Welcome to Yasmina for doing the first program with us uh, after Hawa had left. But Alhamdulillah, <laughs> I think it's a good start. And uh, we, we hope, inshallah, that we will continue to, to do our, our, our level best. To at least share some knowledge with our listeners as far as their daily questions are concerned. And uh, may Allah ta'ala grant baraka in our time. Mm. And may we all be under his protection until we meet in one week's time. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi rahmatullahi
1: Wa alaikum, wa warahmatullahi barakatuh <laughs> From myself, Yasmina as well as Sheikh Ibrahim, was this now concludes our Program until we meet next time again. We bid you assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And you have a great day further, inshallah